police have identified more victims and plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Confirm earlier reports of cannibalism. The building was a scene of ghoulish slaughter. A large kettle on the stove which held boiled body parts. Identified more victims. Killed even more. Plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Had sex with some of his victims before he killed them. And that he was also a necrophiliac. You are now listening to Grinding True Crimes with your host, Maddie Mack. Todd Fox and Gabby Gay. Hey, 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 welcome into another episode of the Grinding True Crimes podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, along with our narrator for today, Todd Fox. And the other host of the show, Gabby, who is back from her COVID. <laughs> we welcome in to you guys another episode of the Grinding to Crime. Uh, before we break down the story, we want to let you guys know where you can find us. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Just type in Grinding True Crime. And also, if you want to listen to us, you can go to your podcast stream uh, on Podbean, Spotify, Anchors, iTunes, and Pandora. And for those listening to us outside the country, you can continue to find us on Podchaser, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cash. Go to redbubble.com, type in Todd Fox 80 and support the cause and purchase some merchandise. And also leave a five-star rating. It helps us out big time. As always, listeners' discretion is advised because we do uh, get into uh, details of crimes that's been, uh, that may be... Uh, disturbing for children so uh, uh listeners discretion is advised so uh with that being said todd just told me that this would be a part two so i mean i'm sorry a two-parter <laughs> so without further ado let's let todd break down part one of his story tell us what your story is about todd have you heard of a gentleman by the name of jim jones uh, yeah. a rapper <laughs> well, from, from from the uh well, he famously started jonestown i actually have heard of uh jim jim jones uh the uh, crime jim jones i don't know anything about it but i've heard of it yeah this is Definitely. this is this is basically what the uh the term don't drink the kool-aid came from mm, i've heard that term yes yes don't tell me it has to do with something about kool-aid man <laughs> you know what, bro? It sure bro, does. You know what black people love Kool-Aid, man. Come on, man. Don't don't hurt me now. <laughs> see, see, you're you're breaking into my story because you're giving away two things. It's gonna do with black people and Kool-Aid. Oh good lord. I'm telling you, that's <laughs> spoiler alert right Dang away. <laughs> right spoiler away. Spoiler alert. You got my attention, brother. <laughs> well, well let's get let's get into it now. Okay, so this is uh Jim Jones. He was uh born on May 13th. Uh, 1931. <clears throat> um, he was born to uh, Lunette, Luette, Lunetta, sorry, and James T. Jones. What's the exact birthday again? May 13th. Wow. That <laughs> Another... is exactly to the year my grandmother's birthday. <laughs> Didn't one of these other killers come on your birthday? What, on what, mine? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is going on with your family? Your family? Oh, why am I the crime? <laughs> no wonder he was born into it. <laughs> you were met for this. Yep. <laughs> so um, they were born in uh, Rowe Creek, Indiana, or he was born in Rowe Creek, Indiana. Um, due to the depression in 1931, the crops were just not growing. The weather was bad. The money was drying up. Uh, just you know, no water to be you know shelled out and stuff because. Yeah, everything just wasn't booming at all. Okay. Uh, they moved to another part of Indiana, which is called Lynn. It's a, It was a small town. They struggled uh, just to get by. The father was working mediocre jobs. Where um, were they going? To What's that? <laughs> it was a little joke. You said just to get by. I said, where were they going? Oh, my God. <laughs> so sorry. I'm supposed to have the dad jokes here, man. No, Jeez. <laughs> 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me regroup. Let me regroup. You got it. You got it. You're good. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> he was working mediocre jobs to keep food on the table. Um, but Rose roles would reverse because James could not, the father could not keep a job and would start Ooh. to drink and gamble. Uh-oh. Yeah. But Lu- Luetta, to her um, credit, was a trailblazer for her time period, which most women did not work in factories until like the 40, you know, late 40s wartime, World War II. Mm-hmm. But she went right into the, uh, the workforce, began working multiple jobs, working in factories, which was unheard of for her day as well. But she took full... Um, uh, full credit for putting food on the table and supporting the family and becoming the breadwinner. So that's definitely different. Okay. That's sad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she did what she had to do, though. She no, did. Absolutely. Credit. Kudos to her. I'm just saying, like, that's sad. Yeah. Now, if you're doing the math at home right now, you're thinking, okay, well, what is the father doing at this time while she's at, at work? Well, he's mm-hmm. he's still drinking and he's still gambling. And maybe doing a side job or a side hustle here and there. So if the father's gone all day and the mother's gone all day, and this is now 1935, four years later, who's watching Jim? Anybody? He was an only child? Only child. (gasps) What in the world? Yes. Uh, They didn't have Barney back then, so whoever, well, they probably didn't have TVs. Um, Nobody. Yeah, there's no tablets to give the children, as most exactly. ter- most <laughs> terrible people, uh, terrible parents in this world will do to their kids. Like, ah, they're two, three years old. Give them a tablet. Let them let them work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a kin- uh, not a Kindle, but uh, well, at least with a Kindle they learn something. But they just mm-hmm. give them like an iPad or whatever. Give them an iPad. Yes, but um, no. Jim Jones was four years old at the night at 1935. With one of those little, you know, those little pool wagons, the red ones. Oh yeah, yeah. He taught himself how to walk with one of those wagons, holding himself. Oh up. wow! Yes. So you were home minute. alone. He was home. Hold he on. was home alone. He was. Uh, I, I, I'm not trying to brag or brag on anybody. He was teaching himself how to walk at four years old. Correct. Or, Correct. Shouldn't he have already know how to buy this? Well, there's no one there home to uh, to take care of him. Yeah, he's doing it himself. Uh, okay. All right, all right. That and is crazy. That's pretty. That's pretty. Yeah, I already this shows that a uh, huge neglect. Yeah, and we've done shows before, like when we talked about Turnbull Canyon, where you know, in the desperate times of the um, the Dust Bowl and all the uh, you know the downtime with. Um, or just the depression, people would sell their kids. Uh-huh. So it's not like oh, you yeah. had it's not like you had a uh, what is it called those social um, social workers around to check on kids because that didn't exist back then. Mm-hmm. So so a kid like Jim is walking around malnutritioned, hungry, um, dirty, and viewed by the neighborhood around there as this, the dirty white trash kid walking up and down the street with a wagon. Mm. So. To uh, Jim, to pass the time, Jim began to get stray animals, whether it was birds, you know, I don't know how he caught them, but he would uh, get uh, steal chickens, uh, stray cats, and he had like a chicken coop and lock them in certain cages to just keep them. You know, he just started collecting animals, even possums. So what? Yeah, he's so from the age of four on up to eight or seven at this time, or I'm sorry, six years old, he's amassed a pretty good amount of animals, including seven stray dogs that were mid-sized dogs, including two of them that were bigger than he was. That would just oh, wow. that would just walk with him wherever he went. Oh, wow. So he had a call. Yeah, I guess. You know, he had some <laughs> sort of way with animals. Well, um, he was alone. Yeah, yeah. He, he was literally raised by a pack of dogs, you know. Um, Doctor Doolittle. Okay, I said kudos to that mom, but knowing she neglected her child that bad, I mean, no, no. Oh yeah, you're a good mom if you're trying to go get food on the table and feed your kid. But you, that kind of mom would have a nanny. 
I mean, if I could afford one. Exactly. Then what is she working for? If she's not taking care of a kid, what is the money for? Rent? I don't know. To uh, keep a place over their head? Yeah, they weren't exactly living in, like, um, I would say, like, destitute, but they had, but they were like, you know, if, if one of them didn't work, they were going to be on the street. So it was like they were just mm. trying to stay <laughs> off the street. But they were letting yeah. the boy be on the street, though. So that, that was nice. Well, there you have. But the mama one day got uh, Luana got um, got into a uh, what is it uh, a predicament because she wanted to discipline Jim for not coming home when she told him to, and she tried to move in and remove Jim away from his dogs when two of the dogs snapped and bit her. <gasps> yeah, they protected their master. Wow. He had control over these dogs. Wow. Well, yeah. If the dogs raised him, they're going to fight. <laughs> yeah, he's a pack leader, apparently. <laughs> I'm not trying to laugh at the situation. It's just like, who do you think you are? Like, <laughs> For real. Yeah, yeah. So as he would grow up, he would notice that parents, when he would go to school, would support their children in school activities such as sports, um, plays, things of that nature, or even parent-teacher conferences. His parents, his parents didn't give a damn. They never came. They never showed any love, any care, nothing. Um, they wow. were always busy with themselves or with the, whatever they were trying to get their hands on or to do in life. So um, Jim now in high school began to talk to his friends about things and views in his life. And people used to not really listen all that much, but he got the attention of a couple young boys who would say that, you know, later on that he was kind of uh, believable and the things that outlandish things he would say. And he had a way and a charisma about himself. So he mm. began to talk to these young kids about morality and love the Bible and the future. So it seems harmless. Here we, right? Here we go. Sounds kind of familiar. Yeah. Yeah. So he's preaching. He's preaching his word, you know, and, and and Jim at this time has a bit of a lisp. So he's got a little bit of a speech impediment, but the way that his hey. career. <laughs> I'm not saying it's about you, man. I'm just saying. <laughs> Leave me alone. That's like, damn you, lisp. <laughs> so. <laughs> So one day he invited about 10 friends over to his awesome house to where he had been keeping the animals in the backyard. And this is like six years later, you know, he's a teenager and uh, he's got a lot of animals now. Um, He made a, he made a special like sort of podium and a stage to where it was high above where the kids were. So he was talking down to them. And so they kind of looked at him like, wow, this kid's pretty cool. Like he's got a cool little setup. And to his surprise on their faces, they were mesmerized and they were pretty much just eating whatever he was speaking. And his mom was watching from the house and she was impressed. The Mm -hmm. first time that she took notice of her son, basically. And the other kids. Yeah. Yeah. So he's he's impressing his mom, even though he probably did it on accident, you know. Um, the other kids began to tell the other kids in school and in the neighborhood to come over and listen to Jim talk. And, um, Jim began to influence others and to like, listen to what he said, to even read some of the things that he was writing that he wrote his own little like papers and and would hand it to him. So, so because, so because of this, um, He's about 15, 16 years old, and he begins to, um, out of old clothes that he got from the Salvation Army, he would start to make himself a robe and a preacher's hat, <laughs> a makeshift preacher's hat, and would walk the neighborhood <laughs> talking to everybody. I'm sorry. And no disrespect. It just reminds me of a kid that I grew up with in, our, in my neighborhood. 
and we used to call him Preacher Boy because he used to walk around the neighborhood. And this is in the hood, Watts, California. And he would walk around with a tambourine, a freaking bathrobe, and walk around, oh, Lord Jesus, oh, Lord Jesus. It just brought flashbacks to me. <laughs> I mean, look, there was a guy I knew, too, that would just walk around and be like, praise Jesus. Jesus loves you. And he would just, everything was Jesus. Like, thank yeah. you. Like, he'd pick up a watermelon at the store and be like, thank you, Jesus. I'm like, okay, we get it. He's very thankful. I mean, hey, hey, he's very thankful. So, hey, kudos to this kid. Yeah, I mean, some people are just like that. But uh, this kid, but I mean, there must have been patches on that hat or something. It had to have looked funny. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm saying. I just wish there was a picture. <laughs> there is none. Um, so whatever he was doing with his getup or whatever, it was working. But he he just started. He he, it got to a point where he started getting books from the Salvation Army or whoever would donate them, and he began to make makeshift bookshelves, bringing flowers from the neighborhood, stealing them from other yards, and. and <laughs> making it look like a backyard church with the animals in the background. Uh, he was Noah and that was his ark, huh? Yes. But, mm -hmm. but, it's not all uh -oh. good. It's not all good. I was about to say, so far this kid doesn't sound too alarming. Well, let me ask you two, what do you think Jim begins to do with the animals? Oh, crap. <laughs> So typical animal abuse that comes before you get into killing people. Okay. Well, I'm going to say this is what he does. He climbs up his stairs. He he, he sacrifices one of his sheep <laughs> and says, you know what? I'm going to cut off your heart and give it to God and say, hallelujah. I, I think he makes a, a sacrifice. One of his sheep. I don't know. Yeah, one of his sheep. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think he got a sheep, but you know, we'll go with that. Oh, okay. But, but, but this is Indiana. He got one of his dogs and, <laughs> and, and, and sacrificed him. I'll tell you this: you guys are both correct, except you went off of the rails of the sheep and the other stuff. But you were <laughs> <laughs> basically what he did was he started this way. He's like, you know what? I'm gonna cut off a duck's foot and then I'm gonna tape it to a chicken and watch it run around <laughs> with its foot on it whatever oh. that yeah whatever that was for he made his point he also mutilated the other uh some other animals in the name of science and also like matt said to sacrifice to not god but himself oh okay yes. now now oh that's disturbing Yes, yes, big time. To which it freaks out some of the kids, including his best friend, which he thought was one of his top lieutenants, air quotes. Um, he punished... He did this in front of kids? Yes, in front of kids, yes. And oh, wow. Including his his best friend, which he traumatized. And so he, with his top lieutenant and his, basically his elder of his congregation, freaking out, um, he had to make an example of the kid. So he took him on a hot Indiana day and locked him in his attic that was unfinished for over four hours. Oh, that's wrong. And he had to come out apologizing. Oh, that was his punishment? That was his punishment, yeah. Look at here, man. Look at here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. You call yourself a man of God or whatever you want, this little boy. If he... I wish somebody would lock me up in somewhere, boy. <laughs> and then I had to apologize, boy. Yep. Man. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, Todd. <laughs> so, so that all that was was a loyalty test, and he supposedly passed it. Mm -hmm. So he came out apologizing, and Jim forgave him, and blessed be to Jim because everything's all good now. So, Ooh, boy. Yeah. So he Jim began to search for an identity for his church. So he he literally went on a crusade in all of Lynn and visiting Richmond, uh, town, the town of Richmond, which is the next town over. He went to mm -hmm. every freaking church he could figure any any kind of faith, anything to find anything that matched what he was preaching. And he wanted okay. to find his his uh, calling. Only one church stood out to him and they were made fun of 
by most of the white people in the in the um, in the area, which was they used to call them holy rollers, but they were evangelical Pentecostals who were most who were mostly black. It was a congregation that would sing and dance in the aisles. They had their own bands or you know singers and choirs, and they also began to chant and speak in tongues. And he was and he was blown away by their enthusiasm. And as a young white boy with a lisp, he walked into the church and they accepted him like nothing. Wow. So he was like, this is Wait a minute. Huh? He's white? He's white, yeah. Mm. He said he looked like white trash. No, no, no. I know he said that, but <laughs> you know, I, I I know he said that, but the name Loretta, the mom's name Loretta. I ain't never heard no white woman named Loretta. So I had, that kind of threw me off. Hey, look, and my gra- at the beginning you said Kool Aid. Well, my my, gra- <laughs> my grandma was named Hildegard, so they they got rid of a lot of those names back in the day. So those there aren't, you go. There those aren't used anymore. Preach, teach me, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> um, so despite this, you know, it's like the you know this is right after World War II. He's approaching eighteen years of of age. Um. Mm-hmm. He's beginning, you know, it's it's 1949 by this time, um, four years later after the war is over. And if you remember in the history books, you know, there was a calm after the storm. But then the, but then all of a sudden the storm came back and there was a bit of a Cold War or a, maybe a World War Three with Russia. And, you know, people were, you know, communism versus capitalism, socialism, all this other stuff was going on. And he began to lean towards communism and he started to fade away from religion. He started talking about social causes and stuff like that. And he, he just, he felt that there was, there had to be something different. You know, he mm-hmm. had to find something that fit everybody. Um, so he began to preach his views on communism and the Bible to mostly urban minority areas. And, the importance of social justice and rights for all. So equal opportunity. So it was a message. Okay. It was a message that was positive, but mm-hmm. he had his underlining issues for saying it basically. Got it. Yeah. So at the age of 18, he needed a job to carry on because, you know, being a preacher and wearing those outfits wasn't cheap and he had to have, you know, pamphlets and everything to give away and, so you need to pay for all that stuff. So he got a job at a nursing home at the age of 18 where he met a fellow nurse uh, by the name of Marceline, who was 23 Ooh. years old. And just, you know, at the age of 18 in 1949, he married her. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Just like that. Just like that. Huh? Just like that. Yeah. Um, in the cradle. <laughs> right. Um, But in 1950, just a year into marriage, Jim Jones began to become a very domineering and angry husband towards Marceline. Uh Um, She was shocked because she was raised Christian and most of her Christian men that she knew in her lives with her family or um, in her churches were very nice and sweet to their wives for the most part. But Jim was domineering both behind closed doors and out in public. And Mm. so... Everything he said was right, and everything she said was wrong, and his political and views on religion countered everything she knew about what her faith was as a Christian growing up. Okay. So, Marceline feared that Jim would become an atheist. So, in 19... Yeah, so in 1952, this is part her problem, or her fault, um, she discovered a new creed written by the Methodist Church. Um, in, in this creed of the Methodist church, it was written to help those who were, um, it was Bible based, but also it was pushed towards the minorities and also social justice issues and the value of people being one family with no separate identity or race in between. Okay. So this is just what Jim wanted the entire time. He wanted a Bible to base his beliefs off of, and he finally found one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. 
So uh, he began to read the Methodist Bible from front to cover, or um, from back to front, sorry. Um, he shifted his, <laughs> he shifted his focus to becoming the first integrated church of black and white Methodist believers in the Indiana area. So this is pretty big. You know, he's actually doing something that a lot of people were scared of doing. Ooh. Yeah, so he's I mean, it sounds right. I mean, what are, what are your uh, thoughts on him so far? I mean, so far, he seems like a, a social justice person, you know, as they say, social justice warrior. He's, he, he sounds like he wants equality for all. So, so far, I don't see, other than his, you know, dominating, dominating his wife, you know, you know, that's probably the only negative and the sacrifice of the animals. That's probably the only negative on him. But other than that, so far, he seems decent not to me i think for the days that that he's living in he's extreme mm -hmm. jimmy hoffa was extreme well, i'm and just saying like especially when it came to the racist juice that was really frowned upon but he seems to not be afraid of anything like that's what i'm saying he's gonna do that's what i'm saying he, he seems like someone that's fighting for rights of others you know so it sounds like he it's I'm gonna say seems because clearly there might be a twist. No, oh, there's plenty of twists in this one. <laughs> he he also reminded me of Roy or Orbison from the day back in the day he was a singer in the '60s and '70s, um, late '50s. Lost me there. Always wore <laughs> <laughs> always wore sunglasses. Kind of had like a white man perm, you know, and that's kind of what Jim Jones looked like. All right. Um, so he created such a charisma that like no matter where he talked he an audience would always grow or a crowd would like at least listen to how he was what he was saying because he just was one of those dudes and he, you he know had that it, gift. he had that gift yeah and he um he began to get funds and he opened up his first church in Richmond in uh, Indiana <clears throat> so he's moving forward you know he's he's doing things right now um but when he started the church, he began to do, well, magic tricks. Oh. Uh, yeah. As, as, magic. Yeah. As some televangelists, I don't know if you guys have seen in the back, you know, in, in the, back in the day when, um, you know, you watch on TV and some guys like, you know, he starts faith healing or saying, hey, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I could do this or we're going to make this alive. If you just send $30 here, we're going to pray for you. And those prayers go straight to God and you're going to get what you want. And people are like, where's my credit card? And they, they make the phone call <laughs> right away. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or they make people walk and see. Yeah. 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 But, but see, here's the thing, though. He didn't have actors right away. So, what Jim would do is remember all those animals he had that, uh -huh. that didn't stop coming. So what Jim would do is using animal body parts. He mm. would, he would wear these long sleeve on the robes on his robes. And, um, he would ask the crowd if anyone was suffering from an ail ailment that they would wish that he would be able to show his congregation and others that he could, that he can heal. And so one one day, um, uh, he's, a man said, I have a tumor and I'm afraid that it's going to kill me. And can you can you help me? I can't afford a doctor. So he says, brother, come up here and I will save you. I will I will get this out of your body as God has given me the power to do so. And then <laughs> so he walk up on the stage and and you know he he's he starts Sounds about right <laughs> yeah he starts chanting over him and you know and all the parishioners are putting their hands towards god like eh, it's gonna happen and then you know he slides out from under his sleeve a chunk of like a bloody mass like either from a pig or from something that looks mm. human and then he like mm. like reaches into the man's mouth and pulls it out and says i have your tumor right here you are healed by the name of god in myself the people's <laughs> temple has struck again. There you go. <laughs> and there's a bloody mass in his hand. So he shows the crowd and the crowd is like, oh, my God, did you see that? 
And they're all, someone invent a credit card so we can give it to that man. Dude, they were eating it all up. So vivid. <laughs> <laughs> I can picture. He sounds 100% accurate, too. <laughs> I know. It's like, I was thinking, man, that's got to be him. You know I mean? They don't, they don't have no sound, but like, that's what I would imagine it being, you know? But, uh, <laughs> so. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So word of mouth, you know, travels far and, you know, Indiana, poverty area, you know, I got to pull out the accent, but it, it's, it's what happened. You know, they'd be like, Hey, did you hear about that faith healer down the street? He like pulled the tumor, like right out of his mouth. And then the other guy's like, for real, for real. Oh my God. And then all of a sudden there's another believer right there. Word of mouth. Word of mouth. It's a powerful thing. Exactly. So, uh, so now he got his audience. Yeah, so now people that can't afford surgeries, unfortunately, he's oh, not healing Lord. anybody. So, like, these people are like, my tumor's gone. You know, like, my syphilis, it's gone. My gonorrhea. You know, like, they're all like, no. it's gone. <laughs> Even though I'm still itching, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> they're not getting treatment. They're listening to this guy, and he's just, like, racking in the, in the money. Eating it up. Oh, yeah, he's like, as long as you give them money, that's all that God really appreciates. He knows that money is from your heart, and that money from your heart will faith and build in you the strength to be healed through my hands. <laughs> so, yeah, that happened. <laughs> you practice this. You want to practice this time, you on the run. Just a little bit, yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> Sorry. I was like, man, I really have a good church guy like sound. Like I could use that. Could use that. Oh my goodness. Well, it's doing good, <laughs> Thank you, thank you. I hope the audience likes it too. <laughs> I'm sure they will. <laughs> um so the, the church just kept getting bigger and um he actually did something smart too he decided he's like you know what i've got to have uh black leaders in my congregations like i want them to, you know, i want them to be at the forefront to help others come to the church and show that look we're a people of all people so we're not just white people we're black people we're all in this together we're a family so he preached that and the church just continues to grow to where now they move from a small town in Lynn right to the heart of Indianapolis, Indiana in 1950. So within nine years, he's got now 300 parishioners and and he like, like 300 loyal parishioners. So they're following him wherever they go. And the donations are opening up new things for him to where he's like, you know what? I need to help well, quote unquote, again, air quotes, I need to help people get my message. So he purchases two nursing homes and two soup kitchens to where what's at those uh, soup kitchens usually in, you know, nursing homes. You think or what what type of people, I mean, are at the nursing homes and soup kitchens? Greedy people? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, soup kitchens and nursing homes? Yeah, like soup kitchens are like for the poor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, mainly homeless people. Then. Yeah, homeless oh. people, people that are mm-hmm. desperate. Yeah, nursing homes, old people usually that somewhat have money or, or yes. sometimes can access money or whatever money they're getting from the government or have saved up. Mm-hmm. So he's like, before you pass on to the inevitable grave that will be next to God, you must sacrifice your earthly possessions to the church, to the temple of the people, to the people's temple. And then to the soup, to the poor people, he's like, I will feed you the soup of the waters of God that will flow through your body, that will kill your ailments and help you. Move and have a better life. You need to be a part of something. Thank you. 
Jim Jones. I mean, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Not Jim Jones. But thank Jim Jones later as you donate. So, yeah, that, that happened. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So, I think Todd's secretly a preacher. Hey, um, we'll set up a Patreon so the listeners can donate to the <laughs> temple of uh, Todd. Just say. <laughs> we call it TT for short. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Be TT for short. Um, so. A couple months later, with all this stuff going on, this is, again, 1958, Marceline wanted children. She felt that it was time to have children. Oh. Jim, Jim was like, I'm not ready to have children. I have my own children, and they're my parishioners, and I will lead them to the promised land. She's like, all right, enough already. I want a child. And then um, he's like, well, there was this prostitute that left a black child at my church steps, so she is your now daughter. And sure enough, that was her daughter. What? Yeah. They adopted a little black girl that was left by a, a prostitute at the church. Wow. Wow. Yep. And a couple months okay. later, a couple months later, um, he's like, we are going to mix this up. We are going to now have two Korean kids as my children's. And I will now have one black child and one two uh, and two Korean children because those are, are my people. There are no colors. They're just my children, as you all are in my church under Jim <laughs> George, under Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so then, so then he accidentally. Um, his pullout game wasn't good, unfortunately, and Marcel. Uh -oh. Marceline would give birth to their one and only natural-born child in 1959. Uh -oh. And uh, they went by the very humble name of Stefan Gandhi Jones. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah, <laughs> Gandhi. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Um, then, at the same time, he's like, I need my son, Mr. Gandhi, to have a twin brother. A twin brother, I say. I say a twin brother. And... <laughs> What he did was, he's like, that parishioner in the aisle three of my church does not want his child, so that child will become mine. And then someone said, but that child is black. How is it the twin brother of Gandhi? You don't know that race does not exist in my family. We are a rainbow family. Every color will exist in our family. And everyone's like, whatever you say, Jesus, I mean, Jim, and moved on with his rainbow family. So let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. Yes. They got two black kids, mm -hmm. two Korean kids, mm -hmm. and one natural white kid by Correct. them. Correct. And the white kid All is the twin brother of the black kid. kid. <laughs> yeah. See, the thing is, that would be like if, if your mom would be like, yeah, I have twin brothers or twin sons and, and it's me and you and then they're looking at us like wait right <laughs> that's my twin son right. yeah exactly <laughs> that's what it was so oh my god he would parade his kids in downtown Indianapolis like look at my rainbow family we can all exist under the lives of Jesus Jim Jones Jesus Jesus Jim Jones we will all just donate your money and you can be as loving as we are. All one people. One people. That's what it was. Wow. Yeah. So. A showcase. It was. It was a showcase. Um, But the <laughs> because he was doing this, the Indianapolis leaders were like, wow, you know what? This guy is a trailblazer. So he, he's attacking social justice issues. You know, it's so like. SJW before the SJW was really big. Yeah, the white leaders were like, wow, he's taking care of all the minorities. We don't have to do anything. All right, let's give him some money. He could do it. <laughs> wow. He's really doing God's work or if the work we don't want to do. <laughs> that's Pretty what much. it was. You know what I mean? So he's, Dang. yeah, because I mean, think about it. He's, he's, He's taking care of old people, even though they're giving money behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. He's taking care of um, 
the homeless, but he's putting them to work as well. So mm-hmm. he's getting free labor. So it's working both ways. It looks nice on the outside, but he's got his underlining ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, at this point, he starts to gradually not mention God too much. And, um, you know, he's starting to really? make this about himself to where he would be giving uh, sermons and being like, I know Matt, Matty, Matt has been doing some things behind the scenes and, and God is hurting my soul right now. My soul is hurting. I'm having a whole heart attack. And he would go to the ground clutching his chest and then the parishioner would come out and be like, it's me. I've sinned. I've sinned against you, Jim. I've sinned against God. And he's like, I feel much better now. If you hadn't done that, I would surely die. That is your faith that you have in me that I can touch God. You are now cleansed. (laughs) What? Yeah, people are all like, oh my God, yes! Pull out your credit cards. What? Yep. So, I think people will believe and people are eating this stuff. They are eating this oh. up like crazy. I've probably gone too much with the uh, the preacher, but I'll try to stay away from. The- <laughs> I've gone too much into character. My bad. <laughs> um. So he even had a. Uh, so what he would do too to keep because he's doing this to keep the the people in line, you know, over the mm-hmm. years. And so <clears throat> he even had a couple um, leaders of the congregation go out and hire people to become fake like parishioners and to get to know the people in the congregation to know their fears, their hopes, their likes, their loves. So that way they can get it back to him to where he can now walk up there and be like, now I see you in the back. And he would tell, tell the lady, I know what you, what, what, what ails you. You're scared of spiders and your mom beat you when you were little. And they were like, oh my God, how does he know that? He's like, I know everything. So he, he's being told and given the information and he's using it against people now. Mm-hmm. Wow. So he's manipulating him left and right. What a fraud. Wow. <laughs> exactly. Wow. So this Jim Jones guy was ahead of his time. Oh, he's way ahead of his time. <clears throat> way ahead of his time. Um, so at this time, too, in, in you know, we're approaching the 60s, Cold War, peace and love. All this stuff is all just blossoming. And people are scared of nuclear missiles. So Jim Jones became obsessed with this as well. And his teachings became more about the end of days and the destruction and how can you be safe and and where what are what are you going to do when the economy falls apart and when there's nowhere to go to where jim jones said well there's only one place you can go and that's with me and if you give up all your earthly possessions and come to a place that i found in south america why in south america would you say he wanted to go there south america what's in south america uh, brazil um the jungle? The jungle? He wanted to get away from the oh the animals in the jungle. <clears throat> kind of. But his his reasoning was I want to take you into the heart of South America, past those areas like a Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Like I want to take you into the mountainous areas to where if there's nuclear fallout, the peaks of the mountains will keep that air out. Now we all know that's pretty dumb thinking. If mm-hmm. it was but that's but that's what he was preaching to his people and they said that you don't want to be caught in the crossfire of russia united states and cuba just firing missiles against each other and the the humanity will be over and only you can stay with me i'm going to build a communal uh, life down there to where we uh, where we can all benefit and live forever one of those types so it didn't have anything to do with god anymore no it became about his beliefs and yes he was god he oh, be- Jim Jones. Yep, Jim Jones. Um, <laughs> so he needed new blood and needed new guidance, um, and 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 he he needed to get down to South America. So <clears throat> he he wanted to go and preach down there 
and try to recruit. So as he's recruiting down there in South America, in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, the main cities, it's not going good. Um, Question. Uh huh. How much is this guy worth at this point? Um, hundreds of thousands at this point. Okay. Yeah. For, and it's not much, but it, back then, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, back then, probably. It's like now he would be a millionaire. Yeah, because people are selling their homes and, and giving the deeds and whatnot to the church. Wow. Wow. Yeah, because he's moved them into a communal area. Um, and we're going to get to more of that right now because what he, what he's doing, he's making money hand over fist, but he's not really taking off and he's not finding the area that he wants to move to. Now, at the same time, the government or not the government, but the um, the city leaders of Indianapolis are becoming wise to his his stuff. They're beginning to hear rumors of, you know, abuse. Uh, they're they're hearing rumors of, you know, the money's going to the wrong areas. People are, you know, there's cer- certain people are defecting while he's gone. And they're sort of like just going rank against the religion and telling local leaders, hey, you need to investigate. So as they start to investigate, um, Jim Jones comes back to America goes to Indianapolis and says, Hey, you know what? We got to move to San Francisco. I just got a faith, uh, a message from God saying that, that Indianapolis is going to be the heart of the nuclear fallout and San Francisco will be shielded by God's hand. So we've got to leave now. So he got the only extremely gullible to come with him. A lot of the people saw the writing on the wall finally and woke up. And stayed in Indianapolis because he was telling people like, look, you got to leave. You got to leave. All, you got to sell all your stuff. Give us the money and say goodbye to any unbelieving family member that you have and just come with us to California. So. Dang. Yep. Yep. So wow. this is this is now 1967 where, where he's like, OK, you know, because he's spent a couple years in in South America. So nothing was working there. So all this happens. So guess what city in California they wound up in? And I'll say it's in Northern California and you guys both know this area. Let me guess. Utah, California. (laughs) This is the the third story. (laughs) Utah, California, man. Wow. There's a lot in the middle of nowhere with trees and natives. There is a lot of history where your brother lives. I'll just say that right now. I see. <laughs> wow. You're going to find some bones up in there. Just gig- I bet, you know trip what? over some. You, you're probably right, man. I guarantee you there's some bones up in the mountains. You guys are going to go on a trip now? Yeah, dang right. Just cabins behind that park. We're, we're, we're gonna bring Todd, you, we're gonna get our detective glove. Matt's gonna be it. like Matt's like, is there a metal detector that you could like switch it over to bones? Because we're gonna find some bones up here, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. So <laughs> So out of the almost a thousand at this time parishioners he had, only hundred and forty made it out to San Francisco. Oh wow! <clears throat> yeah, um, but so in in San Francisco though he had a uh, not uh, not San Francisco I'm sorry Ukiah, <clears throat> but he had enough money to build himself an office, a four story office in the heart of San Francisco to run the operations of his church, and then he bought a church downtown, and then the people that came with him were forced to live off the land and start over, start their own communal huts and houses and shacks and farm the land and take care of themselves. Wow. So they gave their money and he wasn't taking care of them anymore. Exactly. They had to follow the prophecy and do things and work and work hard for anything that they would have. And if they weren't helping there, they were helping in his soup kitchens that he would now open up in Northern California in the uh, Frisco and Oakland area, as well as moving down South to Los Angeles. Wow. Yes. They wouldn't get paid for this, so it was like all volunteer work? It was all volunteer work. Free Ooh. labor. In the name of Jeeks, I mean, Jim Jones. Jim Jones, yeah. And they would actually, they would start selling artifacts or like, like you know, blankets, um, you know, knit things, 
anything that people could do, they would sell those things without getting a profit to themselves. It would go right to the church. Wow. Yep. Jesus. So in 1969, just two years after the move, his mm-hmm. parishioners went from 300 to 3,000 in 1973. Jesus. Yep. 100 times. And this is the thing. 80% of them were black. Oh, wow. Yeah. And nobody he... eventually sued him? Like all the ones that didn't follow? Oh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that because there are there are some instances where the families were seeking um lawyers uh uh, yeah police um or investigations because their families were just like ignoring them completely you know and they wanted their families back and they they couldn't get them wow he had a hold on them so the people's temples they were called were recruiting at an alarming rate and they were starting to get noticed by local government as well but they looked at them as well they're running soup kitchens they're running um you know health services for the elderly this is a great you know good thing for the community and all the while nobody was taking into it to uh, to note that he was preaching about nuclear annihil- um, annihilation and the community being destroyed if they did not follow his himself and at the same time the mm-hmm. faith the faith uh what are the faith healings that he was producing which was basically uh stealing money from people yeah yeah so in uh 1971 he had a big outdoor event where there was probably a couple thousand people there a lot of people recruits were you know being in and everything and um basically he was out there giving a sermon when someone ran up and shot him Shot Jim Jones? Shot Jim Jones, yeah. Uh Uh-oh. And so he was on the ground, and the people were yelling and screaming and, like, freaking out. And and they were like, oh, my God. And, you know, at this time, Jim Jones actually has armed, you know, people, you know, uh, around him, or at least a couple armed guards. And they did not fire back at the guy. The guy ran away, and, you know, a couple people chased him. And they're like, oh, my God. No, no, not, not Jim, not father, because at this time, they're calling him father. Everybody's calling wow. him father. There could be an eighty-year-old, and they're they're like Father Jones, you know, like like hello, Father Jones. He healed my pancreas and my kidney issues, you know, like like they're like no, not oh, father. The father, the father. <laughs> and so we have a neighbor actually, and that they call him the father. Oh, really? Yeah. He's, he's like some pastor. Don't drink his Kool-Aid, that's for sure. You'll, no, as you'll, no, as you'll no, find no, out no. later. <laughs> no. Oh man. Don't tell don't hurt my don't hurt my time. I'm sorry, man. I'm but part two is gonna hurt you really bad. I'm just, uh-huh. just saying. Um so people were stunned, they were crying, they were they were trying to get as close as they could to the stage. <clears throat> they carried his body backstage, and then it was eerily quiet for about ten minutes. And then all of a sudden, when the people were just like, you know, crying and like, oh, my God, father is down. He's he's killed. Why would they do that? Blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, Jim Jones comes out from behind the curtains with his bloody shirt and lifts his shirt up and says, I have fear. I have healed myself in the name of Jim Jones, not Jesus, Jim Jones, because I have the power. I have the power. And he goes, it was a show. It was a cap gun, yes. What? It was. It looked really realistic wow. to everybody in the audience. Wow. And th- all this did was convince more people to sign up and more people to donate to where he's making nearly $30,000 every month. What? Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, he's just racking up the dough right now. So Jim, to his credit, though, I will give him credit for this. The cult is growing, but he's not satisfied 
by just being on the West Coast now. Now he's like, you know what? We're gonna invest this money into buses, and we're gonna we're gonna and and the whole saying what the white people said back in the day, which he thought was kind of racist when they called the the black parishioners holy rollers. He's like, I'm gonna paint holy rollers on our buses because we're literally rolling from town to town, from city to city, to state to state to preach my word, and that's what they did. Mm. Mm. My word. Yeah, exactly. Not Jesus, Jim's. <laughs> Jim's word. Yeah. Oh um, my goodness. Well, yes. He had his own Bible now. He had his own Bible, and wow. um, so he's the settlement is growing. They're they're farming. It's looking legit, but they're <clears throat> it's a compound now. They build walls around it and everything. It's it's just they've got now thousands of people living there. And um, now that the kids have to go to, because the local leaders were like, hey, you know what? You have a lot of kids in those communities. They need to go to school. And Mm -hmm. basically, you know, the kids are forced to go to public school now. So the parents aren't happy about it, but the kids start going and the kids are mouthing off. Like literally, like especially in history books or history classes or they start talking about creation. They're like, hey, you know what? Uh, you know, isn't it beautiful how the sun rises in the in the west and sets in the east? And then one of the kid, the punk kids from uh, from the settlement, are like, "That's only because Jim made it so." Oh, hello, <laughs> stupid teacher. God, if it's not for Jim, none of this is happening, right? 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 Oh my goodness! Yeah, the kids People start eating this stuff up. Huh? People are actually eating that stuff up. Yeah, the kids are too. They're all like, Psh, father created all that. <laughs> father was back in the history. I mean, he was there with Napoleon. Come on now. <laughs> and so, so the teachers are highly annoyed by these kids that are speaking up and acting stupid. And then mm-hmm. they start to see bruising. So then they're, they see that there's neglect, that they're being whipped, hit. They Some of the kids say that they go on marches when they act, when they're, uh, you know, speak out or they uh they get in trouble to where as mm-hmm. young as nine years old they're going on five mile hiking trips dang At- Are yeah you serious yeah so he's severe with his punishments huh oh he is he is and so like now and you're at a time where there are social workers and now they're going to start looking in and investigating the the child neglect and abuse so now you have that happening mm-hmm. and then you have the adults who are being punished as well. What? Are you kidding me? <clears throat> yeah, Jim would would punish them with beatings or whippings. And then Jim would just, out of fun, he'd be like, I have a premonition from God that Julie, although married to Gary, needs to sleep with mm, Robert right there. They need to have sex. And, and and have sex for three months, and then they may return to the pot. He would do that. What? Yes. What? And they would have sex with each other and be like, well, Jim's the father said it was so, so let's make it so. <laughs> what? Yeah, they were they were openly he would make couples become open marriages and open relationships. What a freak. Mm. Yes, so so he's controlling the people like Paul. Like I'm out of this church. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that <right>. ain't happening. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I wonder if any one of the parishioners was like, "Oh, okay, I'm gonna be with." Wait, wait, you want me to? No, can you pick somebody else? <laughs> like, like she's not that. You see her, right? And like Jim is like, but the but Jesus told me Himself that Jim, you have the power to match make. And he's like, but but, but no, but but you see. She's not all that attractive. Like, can I get somebody up? Can you like reset? Can I get a? Can I get a moment? Oh, oh, you know they was they was nitpicking. Oh yeah, they sure were. Father, don't you mean sister sister Jones? I mean... <laughs> you know she doesn't have a butt, right? I mean, come on. <laughs> He's like you know, one of the parishioners. Like, you know, I like big butts, and I can't deny, right? You know, like your other brothers can't deny, right? Who's with me? 
When the sister walks in with the itty bitty wig, rounding in your face, you get sprung. Ah, <laughs> uh, Sir Mix a lot. We love you. Oh, Mixie. <laughs> I love that oh, you guys was mixing a lot. I love that. I love that yes, you guys chimed in though. He sure was mixing a lot of marriage. <laughs> he sure was, but I, I like I like how you guys just like nothing. You didn't miss a beat. That was awesome. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> um. So obviously, this was causing a lot of problems with much of the husbands and wives and the couples and everything. <clears throat> and um, Jim Jones was not. You know, it's not like he was being you know, a nice guy this entire time. He was having affairs as far back as Indianapolis. In, in, in oh, I bet. Yeah, so he's been doing it for years, but all of a sudden now he's open to it to where he's openly sleeping with women to where he had children with three other women in his church. Oh. Yeah. And what did the wife think of that? Uh, she said it was God's will. She wasn't allowed to think. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Jim, Jim would also, here's a kicker. This, this is what sucks too. I'm sorry. I'm laughing, but <laughs> it's just, it's just hard for me to fathom that people were okay with this, but Jim would just be walking. He's like walking through my church, walking through, there's a, a, a healthy young kid right there. That could be my son. If I only bear child to him, but you know what? I'm going to make the father write him over to me. So the, that is now my son, Like he would just pick and choose kids. And they would become what? his Yeah. Wow. He's like, you are in the rainbow community? You're in the rainbow community? Not you. But wow. you are in the rainbow community? <laughs> what yeah. the heck? Wow. Yeah, this guy was so you didn't even else. have rights to your own children? Nope. If he felt that he wanted your children, you had to sign him over. To, he, you had to have him sign him over to you. Wow. Yeah. Like they're just a car. Yeah, 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 I'm sorry. I couldn't last in that church. Yeah, I mean, he's taking... Mm-hmm. I would have been gone the moment Mrs. Jones arrived. Yeah. Me I, mean, <laughs> I mean, these people have nothing. I mean, all their earthly possessions are gone. Now he's able to play with their kids and their wives and their... I mean, they and, and make them do whatever they want. So, yeah, it, it just gets worse. I mean, how worse can it get? In 1973, Jim Jones... Uh, begins abusing morphine and drugs and now he's not only sleeping with women but men yes yeah. well and this is where it goes <laughs> yes um he would preach that there's a that there's a hidden pot in every man that wants to sleep with another man who has that in them to love unconditionally and wherever he wants and so that was his reasoning. And you know what? He forced these men to dabble with their own sexuality and explore themselves through his, well, manhood. So he would find nobody out questioned that, that nobody questioned it. And here's the worst part. So it's one thing to, you know, if that's your thing, you want to have sex with a man, that's fine. If it's, I mean, whatever right like it, it's it's you could sleep if with whoever consensual. you want yeah if it's consensual but here's the thing that made it wrong and, and again i'm not speaking out towards the gay community or anything but here's what made it wrong because jim would make it a point to find out those that weren't agreeing with his intentions or his word in the church that were men that did not want to have sex with other men that were clearly heterosexual and he would make it a point to have sex with him. And the thing was, is having sex with Jim was a privilege in the congregation to where people were like, oh, my God, we're having sex with a godlike figure. It's going to make us closer. So even the men would have sex against their will with Jim. So basically, he's raping them. And then they would write him a letter back because he requested a letter. And they would write him a letter that would that they would say, Thank you, Jim, for opening our eyes, even though it was not a good experience and I'm bleeding. I still would like to thank you for the opportunity to sleep with such a godlike figure. They were brainwashed and raped. What? Yes. I mean, it's one thing if they were open to it, but. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, like you said, no, no disrespect to anybody's sexual orientation, but. 
if someone doesn't want to do something, whether they're heterosexual, homosexual, whatever they may be, you can't force anyone to do something they don't want to do. Yeah, because he was doing the same things with couples, and then he was also sleeping with other women against their their counterparts' will. You yeah, know so I mean? he was raping men and women. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, this Jim Jones guy, uh, he's a nice I case. expected it to go in this direction. I knew it was I, I, didn't, I didn't expect it to go. I did. Uh, <laughs> you know, towards homosexuality. And yeah. This guy would stop at nothing. I expect it all. I didn't expect it. I thought I knew for sure he was gonna start taking women for himself, and but yeah, I, I I did not know the men. Now, if he goes to the furthest of furthest step, which is not that, which is not a good thing. If he goes to children, then I, I don't know what to say. Well, <clears throat> not to uh, give any more spoiler alerts, but what happens is it, we're gonna wrap this one up here. Um, with the Indianapolis reporters who still were talking to some of the ones that left the congregation were finding out about the way he had treated them over there the money that was stolen from them now they realized um, that it wasn't going to what they thought it was and all this other stuff the reporters came out west and began to be very alarmed that they had armed guards and that there was a bigger better compound and it looked more um well established and they were like wait we had all these issues in indianapolis and now it's like seven times bigger here in california like we should really tell some so they wrote a story in the newspapers for indianapolis but they also shared it with the san francisco reporters so now you have san francisco reporters and local government officials starting to look into the compound and the abuse stories (laughs) and the kids so we're gonna leave it right here with now the investigations coming but part and i know there was no killing other than animals but unfortunately in part two there will be some audio and it will be strongly advised that um that if you have a weak heart not to uh listen for the next episode spoiler alert yes well, a warning. Well, yeah, warning. Warning for those who are listening. Uh, yep. I fear what it might be, but we just gonna have to wait till next time. Yeah, there is there is a lot to get into for the next episode, um, which would be like this one again, like we do with most of our our two parters or whatever. Usually, part one is a is a setup for part two. And part one gives you all how everything started. Part two is going to be a lot, unfortunately, of um, the hardships of these people that continue to follow him and what was the end result, which is not pretty. Mm. Yeah. Well, can't wait to listen to part two. So uh, thank you, Todd, for breaking down this part one of uh, Mr. Jim Jones. Thank you, and, sir. Uh, for those who are for those who are listening, we hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you want to continue to listen to us or follow us on uh, social media, just go to our Instagram and Facebook page. Once again, just type in the Grinding True Crime. Leave us a comment. We definitely comment back, uh, so we greatly appreciate it. Uh, leave us a like. Tell us what we did wrong. Tell us what you like about it. But uh, be a fan. Also, if you want to listen to us on your podcast stream, go to Podbean. Anchor, iTunes, Pandora, and listen to us there. Oh, and also Spotify. And if for those who are listening to us outside the country, once again, Podchaser, Radio Public Breaker, and Pocket Cast. Go to redbubble.com, type in Todd Fox 80 to buy some merchandise, and please leave us a five star liking. We would greatly appreciate it. So, with all that being said, we are signing off. This is Maddie Matt, along with our narrator for today. Todd Fox and the other host of the show Gabby and we are out of here toodles peace y'all come back to my church and hear part two next week y'all here <laughs>